This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. So good afternoon. My name is Marisa Nielsen, and I teach second grade in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm joined today with Kelly. My name is Kelly Juno, and I teach third grade in Massachusetts. So today is actually a part two of a show that we did a few weeks ago. And it's part two of a special Indigo Radio series just for kids with a focus this time on the science of viruses, what being healthy really means, and how mutual aid groups are helping people during coronavirus in a big way. So last time we heard from two essential workers and a community member about their observations during the quarantine. And what they hope we can learn from it. So today we have three more interviews for you. Um, The first one is from Dr. Sally Mullaney, who is a doctor in Minnesota. We will also hear from a future doctor of public health, which turns out is a totally different kind of study of health. Um, Anna Mullaney, who is a co-host on this show and also happens to be the sister of Dr. Sally Mullaney. And we will also hear from Caridad Martinez, who works in the field of mutual aid. And she is also a grandmother and a teacher and an activist. So Kelly, why do you think it's important for people, not just doctors, but everyone to know a little bit more about the science of the coronavirus or viruses in general? Yeah, I find for me that really understanding something scientifically makes it less scary. It makes us see how parts of matter, and matter is a word that basically just means that anything that's a physical thing, so not an idea or a feeling, but something you could like touch or see or observe. So it makes us see how matter, parts of matter, interact. And knowing about how matter interacts to make things happen, like sickness, also helps us understand our bodies and nature better. And it's empowering to really understand what's going on in our bodies and our body's relationship to our, our natural world. The other thing I think is that I feel like understanding something well also affects how we act. Okay, so for example... One thing that we may all have seen at least some of is the science behind mask wearing and how the way that masks catch particles, virus particles, and keep them from getting out to infect other people. Another thing that I learned, I watched a really cool video about the structure of the actual virus itself. So you may have seen that little like Um, image of the virus with the spikes coming um, off from around it that look like a crown. And 
this showed how that virus actually is surrounded by a layer of fat and that fat kind of protects it. And the video demonstrated how soap cuts up that fatty layer and breaks it down. And so after 20 seconds of washing your hands with soap, the outside layer of the virus that protects it is broken and the virus becomes broken. And then it's on your hands, but it's broken in pieces. So it's not going to infect you anymore. And then you wash it down the drain. So that video was so cool to really understand why washing my hands actually destroys the virus and keeps me safe and keeps other people safe. And for me, once I understood how these things worked scientifically, I didn't feel like I just had to take like the doctor's words for it, like how to wash my hands and to wear a mask and just to trust what they said. I actually felt like I knew what was happening, what exactly what was happening when I washed my hands and when I wore my mask. And that made me understand why I should do it and why it's important. Mm -hmm. I agree, Kelly. And I think being feeling that empowerment to make those choices yourself, being informed is really important. And we'll hear um, just in a moment from Sally Mullaney about all of these different parts of the virus and, and what it is and what its history is that will hopefully help all of our listeners feel empowered to make their own choices to keep themselves and others healthy as well. Great. So let's get started with Dr. Sally Mullaney. All right. So Sally, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I guess I would like to start off by just asking you um, who you are and what you do for work and how you know all about things like viruses and germs. Sure. So uh, my name is Sally Mullaney. I um, live in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I work at, I'm a doctor at the university there. And um, I um, work, obviously, with uh, people who are sick to help them feel better. And one of the things that we deal with is um, the recent infection called the coronavirus. And I went to medical school, so that's where I um, learned about uh, germs and viruses and other things that can make us sick. Great. Thank you. So, Sally, can you just tell us what is a virus? Is it the same as a germ? So, um, we, we refer to germs as uh, things that we can't see that can make us sick, and uh, germs is a, a term that we use to um, talk about uh, things called bacteria and viruses. So bacteria and viruses are types of germs that can make us sick. We can't see them, they're tiny. Um, and bacteria and viruses are different from each other and they, cause, they can cause uh, different types of sicknesses. Uh, some bacteria are actually good and live in our bodies and um, help um, protect our immune system. Uh, so some bacteria can be good, but some bacteria can make us sick. And also uh, viruses, which are very, very tiny uh, particles that we can't see that are even smaller than bacteria um, can also make us sick. And you said that they can live in our body. So does that mean that they're alive? Um, no, not, not alive in the sense that we're alive or that plants or animals are alive, but... Um, 
bacteria is uh, a bacteria is a tiny one cell organism, and it when I say it lives, it grows in our, uh, for instance, on our skin or in our intestine, and it's different from a virus, which is um, basically a fragment of um, just a little fragment or particle of uh, what we call DNA that um, is even smaller than uh, a bacteria and. For a virus to survive, it has to find its way into our body and get into uh, the cells in our body. And as it grows, uh, and if it grows quickly and our body doesn't figure out a way to fight it, we, it can make us sick. Hmm. So then why can't people just take medicine? Usually when we get sick, we take medicine and we feel better. So like for this coronavirus thing, how come we can't just take medicine for that? Sure. So there are some medicines that uh, we take when we get sick. So there is uh, there's medicine called uh, antibiotics, which is used to treat bacteria. And remember, bacteria is different than a virus. And so we have uh, medicines called antivirals that can be used to treat viral infections. Uh, unfortunately, right now we're just learning about the coronavirus. It's a new it's a new um, virus, and so we're learning about it and uh, trying to come up with, create new antiviral medication that can help us fight uh, the virus. Okay, but usually scientists seem like they know everything all the time. So how come scientists don't already know everything about this coronavirus? And what are the things that they don't know? Well, scientists are very smart people, and they work hard, and they're always trying to learn about new things. And um, this virus, this coronavirus, is a new virus, so we've we've never seen it before. And so scientists are working really, really hard to try and learn about the coronavirus. Uh, it's really, we think, only been around in the world since the late fall of 2019, so maybe five or six months. And even in that short amount of time, scientists have made uh, tremendous discoveries and, and really um, made steps to really understand the virus. But there's still a lot that they're working on. We don't know all of the ways it can spread. We don't know all of the symptoms it can cause. Uh, we don't know why some people can get really sick from it and why some people don't seem to get as sick. We don't know why... Um, some people in families will get sick from it and not everyone else will. We uh, don't know if once you have the coronavirus, if you can get sick from it again. Um, so there's still a lot of things we're learning about it. Wow. Sounds kind of scary. Do you, do you know why new viruses like the coronavirus come about? Like, why do we keep getting these new viruses? Um. Well, I don't have the answer for that. I think that um, we're still trying to figure that out, but the world is getting smaller. There's more and more people in it, and we are living closer and closer to animals and plants, and sometimes we share viruses between animals. Um, we get exposed to them in living conditions or through what we eat, and so these are different ways we can ex be exposed to new viruses. Sometimes viruses change and behave differently, Mm. Um, and that can also make us sick. Hmm. Well, 
I have another question, and this is from Kelly's third grade classroom. One of her students asked um, kind of a couple interesting questions. One was, can cats get it? I don't know if you know the answer to that. So I don't really know the answer to that. Um, we think that animals can get infected with the coronavirus. So the coronavirus particles have actually been found in the nose of cats, um, but they don't seem to have had symptoms or typical symptoms that would make us think that they were sick. Uh, we think maybe they got the virus from people in the family, so the humans that live with them in the same household. Uh, there has also been some cases where <clears throat> tigers, and I don't remember which zoo this was, there were a couple of tigers that came down with kind of a dry cough and were acting tired, and they tested the tiger, and the tiger had coronavirus. Hmm. Um, fortunately, the tiger survived, but we don't, we're still working to understand how the virus might pass between humans and animals, but we think in a household that it's actually the humans that are probably passing it to the animals. Hmm. So, if you had, if you maybe had a contagious person in your household and you had a pet like a cat, could it, could possibly if it was on the cat, could somebody else get it too? Do you think? So we have right now. We don't have any any information to say that the cat could then pass it to someone else in the family. Um, we don't know if the virus is well enough or still able to make that leap from the animal to another human in the household. But if someone was sick in the, in the household and you had a cat, it would probably be good um, for that person to wash their hands and, and cover their mouth and, and um, practice um, good hygiene and, and hand washing and perhaps stay away from the cat and also keep the cat inside so that the cat you know, doesn't run around outside and maybe expose other people. Mm, that sounds like a lot of precautions. And I know people around here are taking a lot of precautions to not get sick or not get others sick, like wearing a mask um, and not going into big crowded areas a lot. Is there, um, do you know if like, <laughs> if the virus can live on things for like, not just cats, but um, live on things like trees or cars or um, things like that, that we should be really careful about? Well, we know that the virus can be found on different surfaces. Um, so like door handles or the floor, um, even clothing. Um, but we don't know that the virus uh, can infect other people that way. So for instance, if you put your hand on a door handle that had the coronavirus on it and then put your hand on your mouth. We don't know that you would actually get the infection that way. Um, but we still, because we don't have the answer to that, recommend that you wash your hands carefully when you go outside. If you're, um, you know, for instance, touching a railing where lots of other people might have put their hands to um, practice good hygiene and good hand washing is really the best way you can help protect yourself and then to wear a mask. Uh, when you're um, outside and, and going to be in, in places where you can't um, appropriately physically distance yourself from other people. Okay. 
And this other question um, is linked to my first question about what's a virus and is it the same as a germ? Another student asks, how do germs form? Do mom germs lay eggs to get baby germs? <laughs> um, that's a great question. And uh, they don't lay eggs. Um, they divide. So the, the cells are clever and they split themselves to form new cells. And that's how bacteria grow is, is they're actually a, a one cell organism and they can duplicate and, and make more of themselves. Viruses get into a human cell and use the machinery inside that cell to make more copies of itself. Of itself, so a virus really depends on the body's help to uh, make more copies of itself. Wow! So I'm hearing you say the cell is like can be like a machine. It has instruments inside of it that a virus can use to clone itself, sort of. <laughs> exactly. So okay. it, the the virus is clever and. Um, but in a way, it's also weak because it needs the body's help to um, make more of itself. And so it has special tools that it uses to get inside a human cell. And then it uses the machinery inside the human cell to make more copies of itself. Of itself. How many cells do we have inside of our bodies? Oh, I don't know. Millions, billions and billions and billions and billions. <laughs> We read, we read a book called um, the, Some Tiny Creatures, The World of uh -huh. Microbes. And we learned yeah. about all of the billions of microbes on your skin all the time. Right. And mm -hmm. all of the ones that are in your stomach all the time. And so we've been really curious about the quantity of things like this that we can't even see. Yeah, I can't even imagine how many cells that we have in our body. But it sounds like you guys have been learning about some of the good microbes that are on our skin and in our intestines. We sure have. And we've been appreciating those a lot, especially when we've been hearing so much about the coronavirus. It's nice to know that there are lots of microbes doing great things like turning milk into yogurt and all sorts of good things like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... Um, I don't know if your students knew why, know why it's called the coronavirus. That I don't know that they do. Can you tell us a little bit more? So it has um, the, the, the structure, the appearance of the coronavirus is such that it looks like it has a crown around it. And so corona or comes from the Latin uh, word for crown. Oh, so it's kind of regal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we don't like it. <laughs> Well, you think as a doctor, Sally, what do you think um, people can do to stay healthy, not just now, but in general, it sounds like there's going to be more different kinds of viruses coming along after this one. And we're all sort of thinking, well, we don't want to be cooped up at home like this. So what can we do to make sure that we can have healthy lives and still be able to see one another? Sure. So I think... Um we have to recognize that there's times that um, we're not going to feel good, that we're going to have a cold or a cough. And those are times that we have to be sensible and understand that we want to protect other people. And the way that we do that is that we stay home when we're sick. And when we're better, then it's safe to go out and be around other people. Um, practicing good hygiene when you're out. So 
coughing into your elbow, covering your mouth when you sneeze um, to help prevent the spread of germs, um, washing your hands with uh, soap and water for at least 20 seconds, uh, washing your hands before you eat, um, and then taking care of your body because you have to live with your body for the rest of your life and you carry it around with you everywhere. It's your best friend. So you want to make sure you take care of your body and get lots of sleep and um, exercise your body so it stays strong and healthy. Um, eat good food uh, to help your body, again, stay strong and healthy and help your immune system stay strong. Um, and then take care of the people around you. And, and also, if you know that a family member is sick or someone is sick, to encourage them to stay home if they need to or, and help them out by bringing bring them groceries if they need it. Sounds good. Do you, I know you have kids at home too. Um, mm -hmm. Do they have questions about the coronavirus, things that we haven't talked about yet that you've been talking about in your family? Yeah, I think that they're confused and frustrated, like all of us are really, and wondering uh, when things can get back to normal. And they miss their friends at school and they miss um, being able to go to the playground is a big deal. So, uh, we've been trying to get outside and go for walks, and we've been talking about how um, we've been talking and uh, practicing wearing masks outside and uh, learning that we wear them to help protect other people. Um, and yeah, just trying to take it day by day. They say stay home, please don't go outside, there's no use dying. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. I am Kelly, and I'm here with Marisa. 
And we are doing another Indigo Radio show today just for kids. This one really gets more into the science of coronavirus and thinking more deeply about health, as well as learning about how mutual aid is helping people during this time. So you just heard Put Your Mask On by Gloria Estefan. And before that, you heard Dr. Sally Milani tell us about germs, the coronavirus, and staying healthy. So the next interview we're going to listen to is with someone who is studying something called public health. So Marisa, do you understand how public health is different from like our own personal healthiness or sickness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of tricky because there's this whole field of doctors that we know of when we go to the doctor's office when for our annual checkup or when we are feeling sick or when we need a shot. Um, but outside of that, there's another whole field of doctors, people who um, work in this field called public health. And for me, I like to think about the word public. So public means people, so people's health, but like a lot of people, not just a few people, everyone. So public health is about how our own individual health, how we feel, is connected to everyone else's health, as well as the health of our environment around us. And it's about how we as individuals are affected by everyone else's health, as well as the health of the planet. So there are these people called public health doctors or doctoral students. Um, We're talking to a doctoral student today of public health um, who study all of the reasons why people get sick and how it's connected to um, the rest of the people in the world and um, our actions on the environment and the environment's actions on us. So it's sort of like a give and take. Oh. And Kelly, you, you shared this interview with your students already, right? I did. I shared my interview with my students this year and my students actually really enjoyed it. And some of them said it was their favorite interview that I shared with them this year because it has to do with our the way that our health comes out of the environment and our relationships with each other. And they hadn't thought about it before in that way, but it made a lot of sense to them because they also understand that they as human beings are a part of nature. So they were really excited about this interview. So I hope that you like it too. Anna, um, I'm so glad that we can talk to you today because what you're studying is like so relevant right now with everything that's going on with coronavirus. So I was just wondering if I could ask you some questions about some of your knowledge about health. Sure. I would love that. So my first question is just, what is health? I think of health as a combination of three things, and I'll talk about each one of these things. So one is individual wellness. Uh, A second one is thinking about how our lives are organized and What I mean by that is what are the things around us that impact our individual health? And then the last one I'll talk about is our relationships with our environment. And in this, I mean nature and animals, insects and plant species. 
So the first one, individual wellness, is what we most commonly think about in regards to health. And you could think about it as most uh, simply being free from illness or injury and or free from emotional suffering or sadness that we feel. The second one, when I said the way that our lives are organized, is one that I think is less talked about and we don't go to right away when we think about health. But it's really important in describing how our lives are organized and how that affects individual and community health. So, for example, what are our neighborhoods like? Do we live in areas that suffer from a lot of pollution? Do we have clean air to breathe? Do we have clean water to drink and fresh food to eat? So that's one example. Another example would be, what are our houses like? Do our houses we live in have heat when we need it? Are they free from mold and other safety hazards that could impact our health in a negative way? Because those things, if that's happening in the house, are really going to impact our own health and the health of our family members. Another way to think about it is your schools. So are the schools clean and safe for us to be there? Are they not too overcrowded? Do we have supplies and materials we need to learn? What are our parents and friends' working conditions like? So if you think about your own parents or caregivers, is the work that they do safe? Do they get paid enough to pay the rent and buy food for the family? Um, do they have health insurance? If, if you go to the hospital, will they be taken care of? And so the other thing uh, I think of social factors or our lives is including the relationships we have with each other. Are we surrounded by people that are kind to us and support us? Or are there relationships that put strain on us and hurt us? Because that definitely is one thing that also impacts our health. And then lastly, in terms of health, is the third factor that I talked about, which was nature, environment, and animals. And in this, we're trying to think about what human activities are impacting each of these in negative ways. There's always changing relationships between humans and the environment, and these can either be positive or negative for our health and the health of the planet. So it depends on really on how we act. Climate change is one that is talked a lot about. Uh, human activity has really worsened the climate, climate which impacts the environment and impacts animal species. And then, of course, it impacts our own health. And we can think right now about coronavirus, which is directly connected to the way that humans have been navigating the environment and interacting with the environment and the habitats of certain species. Anna, I heard that coronavirus came about because of humans taking animal habitats. Is that true? And how does that make coronavirus happen? That is true. Uh, what we know is that because of a lot uh, of land, we would call this deforestation, is when people go in and they're taking um, over parts of certain lands because maybe they want the wood or they want that land uh, to grow other things. Um, and what that does is that the animals and species that were on that land are now removed in ways where they don't have the same livelihood. They're pushed into other arenas. And some of those places that they're pushed into are places that are closer to human contact. And that's what happened with um, the bat environment because coronavirus is linked to a certain species of bat, and that brings us closer in contact. And so 
we can make direct links to human activity and the way in which viruses then are brought into contact with us. Anna, you actually just made me think about how um, you said that we're cutting down trees and taking animals' habitats. And so it it seems like we are making animals homeless Mm -hmm. and that that's affecting the animal's health. Mm-hmm. And then that is affecting our health. Would exactly. you say that that is accurate? Yeah, that's a very um, great description of it. And I can give you an example of bees. I think bees are a really uh, good example of this. So bees are responsible for the pollination of many fruits and vegetables that we eat. And um, scientists say that they're actually responsible for about 70% of the fruits and vegetables that we think of and you know we eat every day you can think about berries almonds pumpkins tomatoes watermelon apples and bees are really under stress due to a number of human activities we use a lot of chemicals on fields uh, a lot of pollution these type of things have changes for bee activity and their habitats and so we're not only putting the bees' lives at risk, but it's also having a negative impact on our food production. And without bees, we're going to have a lot of trouble growing food. Wow. You know, it's interesting. As you were talking, I I feel like I've always known that, of course, humans need air and water and food and shelter to survive. But then thinking about how, like, actually to produce that food requires other things and to have clean air requires other things. And so it's not so simple as just those same things. It's like how we treat our planet. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's why I really, when I think of health, I think of those three factors, the individual, the overall organization of our lives and our society, and then our relationships with the environment. And all of those interact with each other and connected in determining really the overall health of us and our world. Okay, so Anna, here's my next question. You are studying public health. And so I'm wondering, does that mean that you are studying to become a doctor? Well, that's a really good question. Public health is about preventing and protecting the health of people and our community. So unlike doctors, and and I think people really think about medical doctors when they say doctor. So unlike medical doctors that are often treating people who are sick, Public health is about looking at the whole population and engaging in ways to make sure that the way the world is organized is such that all people can be healthy and that when people are sick, that people get adequate treatment and that there are things in place that make it so that people can be treated well. And I can give you um, a good example to understand the difference between public health and say a medical doctor. So um, vaccination is a a good example. And vaccination is a public health measure that says vaccinating people helps the spread of disease in a community. And this both helps an individual, but also it helps the school or the neighborhood. Uh, Another example that we could think about right now is you've heard this term social distancing. This is very much about protecting the wider community. So it's not just about keeping ourselves safe, but it's a um, public health measure that keeps the wider community safe. And I'm happy to give other examples if it would be helpful. 
Yeah. Could you give one other example? Sure. So think about the school cafeteria. If we think about public health, we would be thinking about what is the type of food that needs to be served in the cafeteria to make sure that all students can eat healthy, well-balanced food during the day. And that, of course, helps us with learning. So I think that public health, we, th- we need to understand it as a collective protection of our basic needs. It's like protecting our food, protecting the air, protecting water and the environments we live in. So you're not going to be like seeing patients. You're going to be trying to think about community things that need to happen. Exactly. And uh, for instance, my work, the, the thing that I concentrate on is I live in southern Vermont and I live in a rural area and I am working a lot around women's health. And one of the things that I think a lot about is that in rural areas, there is less transportation And so for women that don't have their own cars, it's hard for them to get to places they need to, say, go to the doctor, or if they need to go to the store um, or go to the hospital or go to a meeting. And so a public health measure is thinking about how can we better transportation? Because if we have better transportation, that's then going to better their overall health. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So it's not just like, does somebody have a doctor and insurance? It's like, well, what if they can't get to the doctor because they're too far away and they don't have a car? Exactly. Maybe we'll do them both. I don't know. Hey, we're in the middle of a revolution because I see the face of things to come. Yes, I do. Oh, your constitution. Of all the evil it will have to end ah, It's gonna be alright Everything's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. You just heard Revolution by Nina Simone. And before that, we heard from Anna Mullaney, who is the sister of Sally Mullaney, talk about her work in public health and what being healthy means. And for our last segment, we'll hear from Caridad Martinez, who is a grandmother to Janae, Diego, and Daniela, um, who also works in the field of mutual aid. So she's going to tell us a little bit about what mutual aid is, as well as its history, where it comes from. Mutual aid isn't a new idea. Lots of communities all over the world have been practicing mutual aid for centuries. Um, But even though it's not brand new, during the coronavirus, people sort of got energized around this idea of how can we be helping one another in in a bigger way than just me helping my neighbor, but how can we as a whole society be lifting up others in our society who might be hurting right now? Um, so we'll hear from Caridad and she'll tell us a little bit more, a lot more actually, about what mutual aid is. Caridad, welcome to Indigo Radio. I know you've also been a host before, but can you introduce yourself for the listeners here? Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for inviting me, and I'm really glad to be here. My name is Caridad Martinez, and I live in Belchertown in Western Massachusetts, and I am a teacher activist. And yeah, and right now I'm doing a lot of work around mutual aid. Thank you so much. And um, we wanted to talk to you about mutual aid and its role, especially now during COVID. So can you start by just telling us what is mutual aid? Where does it come from? Um, and what kinds of examples from history can you tell us about? Sure. Well, mutual aid is a practice of survival for people, and it's been around for most of human history. And it's used by communities who have been abandoned, marginalized, hurt by violence and war, and not taken care of by government institutions. Mutual aid comes about when people are having a hard time getting their basic needs met, like finding food, getting housing, finding jobs, getting medical care, acquiring clothing and shoes, and even not being able to get access to land to grow food and play. Mutual aid is when people get together to meet each other's basic survival needs with a shared understanding that the government and the organizational systems that we live under right now are not really going to get our needs met. And that we can do it together right now. We don't have Mm. to wait. We are volunteers and we don't get paid to do this work. We do it because we love each other and we know that helping each other is the right thing to do in this world. So we're not going to wait for politicians or school principals to get things done. We're going to help each other and we're going to do it ourselves. Mutual aid societies and groups have always brought attention to the problems that face the poor and excluded people. And they really serve to motivate change and participation, and they give people hope and confidence in their abilities to change economic conditions by working in solidarity with each other. And there are some really good examples in history, and one of them is the Black Panther Party. And uh, they had these survival programs, which included a free ambulance program, um, medical clinics, 
drug and alcohol awareness programs, um, rides for seniors, like transportation rides for seniors when they had to go to the doctor or to appointments. They had a socially conscious school for youth. Um, they provided free clothing and shoes. They helped people get lawyers. And they had early childhood education programs. And actually, their early childhood education programs were thought to be the very first in this country. Hmm. There was another group, yeah. There was another group called the Young Lords, and they were also um, a group that created community projects very similar to the Black Panthers. And they were also a youth-led group, which is really interesting. They were young people who worked with all with people from all ages, but they were predominantly in the beginning a student youth-led group. And their programs, their projects um, included free breakfast, um, free health and dental clinics. They led clothing drives. Um, they taught Puerto Rican history classes. And they even provided testing for diseases like tuberculosis and lead poisoning. Hmm. Uh, because a lot of children were got lead poisoning from the paint that they had in their apartment buildings. Hmm. And they also worked in solidarity um, with incarcerated Puerto Ricans you know, Puerto Ricans that were in jail. And they also worked for the rights of Vietnam veterans. And those are, you know, soldiers that came home from the Vietnam War and who had a lot of uh, mental injuries and physical injuries. And they worked for the rights of those Vietnam veterans as well. Wow. So that you've described so much that mutual aid is and, and these two groups in history so tell us, what is it not? What What isn't mutual aid? Well, mutual aid is definitely not charity. Charity is when rich people or government institutions give a little bit of money to poor people. And when they control how much they give them and which poor people they give the money to. Charity institutions are owned and led by wealthy people. And so that is why they think they can decide what poor people can get and how much they can get. Also, um, many of these government institutions and charity organizations are run by people who get paid. Mutual aid societies or groups are run by volunteers and the people who are getting the help they need. Mm -hmm. So the people themselves get to decide who gets the help and how much help they need. That means that we are self-organized and self-governed, which means that we govern ourselves. We don't wait for politicians to do it. And it doesn't matter how much school education a person has. All people have skills and knowledge, and together we can take care of each other. Hmm. So, Carrie Dad, you've worked for a while with the mutual aid community in your areas. Where do your ideas come from? What What's brought you to this work? Yeah, that's such a great question. Well, my ideas come from my lived experience, you know, growing up in a poor working class family and neighborhood in New York City. I grew up with a single mom who taught us that we also had to care for others, that it wasn't enough to just to think about my own dreams and desires, but that I also had to care about whether other people had enough food, clothing, medicine, and people who cared for them. This has always been the thing that moves me in my work. I'm just committed to our communities and to helping people who are excluded and marginalized. That's what my life is about. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what the organizational structure is of the mutual aid group that you work with? How is it organized? Yeah, first of all, right, I'll give you their name. It's called Western Mass Community Mutual Aid Network. And um, we are organized by specific projects. And some of the projects are the mutual aid funding. And their work is to get money, right, from our communities to give back to the people who need it. We have another project that's called meal delivery for people who are homeless or houseless. Sometimes we say houseless instead of homeless. Um, We also have another project which provides transportation to medical appointments or to the grocery stores for seniors and people with small children or people who have disabilities and can't get out of the house easily. We also have a project called Translation, and that provides services for people who speak different languages. We have a child care project. We have a mental health project and we have a drug and health awareness project and the people who are doing the work organize with themselves so the people who are actually um, working on those projects we are the ones who decide how to get the work done so that's how we organize ourselves and we divide the work up amongst each other and we do the best we can Hmm. And what are some of the activities that you are doing currently? Some of the activities that I'm doing right now are getting people to give money to the mutual aid network so we can then give money back to the people so they can buy food, clothes, shoes, so they can pay for medicine, pay their rent or their mortgage so that they can make sure they have a roof over their heads. I also deliver cash money to the people. And I also transport and deliver toys, clothes, diapers, and food. I also help with thinking about ideas on how to make the mutual aid society better. And I am also working on organizing with people who receive the aid to also be a part of the mutual aid work. The more people are involved, the more successful and strong our communities will be. And really, only the people can make this work. There is power when people come together to solve their own problems and meet each other's needs. Hmm. And lastly, I'm also involved in studying about the world and the systems that operate in it, because I feel that through study, I can really be good at changing the world and doing the mutual aid work. Hmm. Thanks, Carrie, Dad. That's helpful to think about. And I know you've talked before about having your grandchild involved. So tell us, how are kids involved in this mutual aid stuff? That's such a great question, because I think kids uh, have always been involved historically, right, in helping people and helping each other. And so, um, yeah, this is a really important question. I want children to know that there's so much they can do. So right now um, in the mutual aid work, kids are involved by giving some of their toys to other children. They also help by preparing bags and boxes of food diapers, wipes, and toys for families. And they also accompany adults to drop off those resources and also to do the cash drop-offs that I talked about before. So my grandchild, Janae, has been on some of these drop-offs with me. There are many ways that children can participate. Um, They can also talk to their friends about the work and encourage them to get involved. They can study about mutual aid and how the world operates. 
you know, and, and I always think that if we study and understand how the economic system works and how government and schools function, we can know more about what we need to do to change the world so that all people can get their needs met and where there is no poverty. So what are your hopes for the mutual aid group? Mm, I have lots of high hopes for this work. <laughs> yeah. Right now, our mutual aid funding group wants to continue getting people from our communities to give money to give back to others. We really want the mutual aid communities to grow strong, to grow big, and be powerful. We want people to learn to take care of each other and not to depend on the capitalist government and on wealthy people to take care of them because we know that this is really never going to happen. But we do know that people can do this together. And we are doing it. And people have been doing it. And people will continue to do it. I want children to know that that this work isn't just about this moment when we are responding, right, to COVID-19 pandemic, which has really made it really difficult for children and families today. We want everyone to know that the COVID-19 pandemic has actually given us the opportunity to see how much people really care for each other and also has shown us like how much knowledge and skills and power people have to get things done. So the pandemic is really helping build political power amongst the people, by the people and for the people. So even though a lot of these mutual aid societies and groups have arisen as a result and in response to the pandemic, this is something that we want to continue. And because we know that people are always going to be in need of covering their basic needs. So we're using this opportunity to build strong mutual aid groups and networks so that we can continue helping each other during COVID and after COVID and into the future. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Caridad, for speaking with us today. It's been wonderful, and um, and I look forward on connecting with you more and, and this group in Massachusetts. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you to the children who are listening, and I want to say that my heart is with them and that I know that this has not been easy for them, but if they're here and they're listening and they're learning and they're studying, then they're doing exactly the right thing. And I want them to know that there are people that really care for them and love them and will be here for you right now and into the future. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. You just heard Caridad Martinez tell us about her work in the field of mutual aid and its revolutionary history. It sounds to me, Marisa, like mutual aid is a lot of what we actually try to do together already in our classrooms, like how we treat each other and how we help each other out as a classroom community. Yeah, I think that's a goal that we strive for. Um, And sometimes it feels like that's the one thing that we're learning all year long. Um, And I hope that other classrooms are doing that too, because um, when we know that we're all in it together, we're all in this world together, and we know that 
we live in a world that's not always going to keep us healthy and, um, and that we're going to need to help one another out from time to time. Um, we can sort of think of that in a bigger way. So it's not about feeling sorry for somebody who's having a hard time, but it's about lifting each other up so we can all be healthy, so we can all be safe, so we can all um, have the lives that we wish to have. Yeah, definitely. So that pretty much wraps up our show for today. This has been a radio show just for kids on science, health, and mutual aid. We hope that the students in Kelly's third grade class and Marisa's second grade class have been listening and other kids too. We hope that you keep asking questions and observing the world around you. Thanks for listening. And we'll go out with Sam Cook's It's Been a Long Time Coming. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there. Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh, yes it will I go to the movie And I go downtown Somebody Keep telling me don't hang around It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Then I go to my brother Say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. No, there have been times that I thought I couldn't last for long. But I know